0: I don't know when you're listening. Could be morning, could be afternoon. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Welcome to North Star Community. I am Scott. I am one of the pastors here.
1: I'm Teresa. I'm the other pastor here.
0: We are bringing you a message recap from the second message in our series on building a new family. This is a series that we started in January uh, to coincide with the new year because in recovery, and also in faith, um, a lot of times we start evaluating our families, right? And we evaluate um, sometimes how good or not good they've been to us. Sometimes whether or not they align with our certain way of seeing and they support, you know, whether or not they support the kind of life we want to live. Sometimes we realize that there are certain harms that are done there that we weren't always aware of or that we um, suppressed or internalized and took on ourselves in a way that maybe wasn't always healthy. And so I think in these communities, in the faith community and in the recovery community in particular, we're evaluating the role of family and um, what it means to be a biological family, but also what it means to join a new family, um, God's family or a recovery family, and then to turn those into our new family. Right. Um but it's all about i think creating a community that shares in common that certain way of seeing and that supports who you want to be in the world right do you think that's fair
1: i do and i don't think i don't think it's always obvious mm-hmm. who's going to be part of our community and whose certain way of seeing is going to align with ours so the story that i've chosen today to use to illustrate i thought was just a really beautiful example of family forming in a really um, not at all obvious way
0: you're referring of course to the story of Ruth and Naomi.
1: Yes and the other daughter in law
0: Oprah or or Oprah. Well the, or, I, th- or pra, or pra. I think it's
1: supposed to be Orah is how you, the P is supposed to be sound. ORAP But I just think of her as the girl with the hard-to-pronounce name.
0: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is – I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but this is a story that for whatever reason I haven't quite locked the the details in my brain. So I'm going to turn my microphone down, (laughs) and I'm going to let you um, summarize the story for us, and then I'll turn myself back on, and we can – And then I'll turn my microphone back up, and we can unpack the details.
1: All right. Well, this is a story of Naomi, Ruth, and Ora. And uh, it's found in the book of Ruth. And it's a short little book, but I think it's a lovely story. So here's what happens. Once long ago, uh, Naomi's uh, community uh, experienced a great famine. And in so doing, they moved when famines were for a prolonged period of time, uh, they'd have to go somewhere to get food. And uh, Naomi, her husband, and her two sons went to Moab, which was not really a Hebrew-friendly village, right? But what's interesting, I read in one of my study guides that I was reading, um, was that In these, as these tribes moved due to famines, that all these tribal communities had laws that welcomed the stranger if they were coming there because of famine. Isn't that fascinating? And so these communities that normally didn't get along would get along for the sake of survival of other tribes. And so this is the story. So they get to Moab, and it's a prolonged famine, and they're living there, and the two boys marry Moabite girls, One's named Ruth, and the other is named that name that's hard to pronounce,
0: or Pura. Uh, whatever. Or, or
1: Starts with an O. A and um, and then um, and they're getting along. And then her uh, Naomi's husband dies, and then both the boys die. So now uh, Naomi is a stranger in a foreign land with two daughters-in-law that she feels responsible for. And it so turns out that over a period of time, word gets back to them that the famine in um, Naomi's homeland has passed. And so she's going to return home and throw herself on the mercy of her extended family for her care. And so she says to these two daughters-in-law, who she dearly loves, it's clear in the text, you guys go back to your home Uh, to your father's homes, and you're both young, and they'll get you another husband. And the girls love her, and they don't want to leave her, which is really, really uh, unusual because when they return home to Naomi's land, these girls are going to be considered outcasts. It turns out that if a Hebrew man marries a Moabite woman, It will take 10 generations of offspring before they would ever be considered part of the Hebrew nation. So these girls were not signing up for a walk in the park. They just loved their mother in law and they wanted to stay with her. As it turns out in the story, she eventually convinces the girl whose name is hard to pronounce to return home to her family of origin. And she is unable to convince Ruth to do the same thing. And Ruth returns with Naomi. And eventually the story of Ruth and Naomi has a happy ending. Mm. But in terms of building the story, I don't want to get to the happy ending part. I want to uh, consider what it is that made them family when they were such unlikely candidates to be family.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like um, it's a story where... So, I mean, you're talking about um, a lot of more primitive cultures had a stronger bent towards honor and shame. You know, what you do that brings honor to the tribe, what you do that brings shame to the tribe. And so there's all these kinds of uh, sometimes written, sometimes unwritten rules about who you marry and who you don't marry because of what, you know, taints the bloodline or whatever. But the the sort of significant thing being there for us is that there's— Certainly, a lot of potential for shame here, and when there's a lot of potential for shame in this kind of culture, that means there's not a lot of potential for life.
1: Right. Right.
0: Uh, because um, you know, the last place you want to be an outcast is with a group of people who are undergoing a famine. Right. Um. Yeah. Or yeah. Or or even if it's a group. Nearby a group going through a famine. Either way, food is scarce, right? So right. the likelihood of survival is low.
1: right. So, um these two women return home to the village and um, are well cared for by their family. but i am I am obsessed with this thought that these two girls loved their mother-in- law, even when, all three of them were in very vulnerable and precarious positions. Mm -hmm. Um, They cared about each other. They cared about each other's welfare. um, And um, they're just two things that I think were of of particular note for the story in terms of thinking about us building a family. But I think they're pretty important. Okay. The first one, I think, is making note of the fact that in this family, uh, both of these girls ultimately chose different paths forward, but Naomi, uh, by all accounts, and it's a small little book, and these are just a few verses, but there was no sense at all that Naomi... uh, was anything other than loving and gracious to both girls. Now, remember, Naomi was the one who tried to convince both girls to go back to their families. Um, only one of them, the girl with the hard name, uh, did so. But when she parted, they parted in great love. Mm. And I often think about how families show preferences for certain types of behavior.
0: Not just preferences for certain types of behavior, but also we'll tell you to do one thing while secretly hoping that you do something completely different. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's one of the things that happens in tricky families is we'll tell you we want one thing from you, but the key is that you actually discern what we really want, which is not what we're saying. Right. And so that would be, It's not necessarily the situation here, but I think one of the things you were... Teaching me about this story is that a lot of people have taught that Ora um, is often considered a bad guy, right? In sermons, Disloyal. about this story because she left, and I think that part of that is like um, some kind of hindsight bias because things work out for Naomi and Ruth. Like that means that Ora must have done the wrong thing, right? Which the um, you know my understanding is that the text doesn't really say that or speak to that or draw that out in any way uh, i'm relying on you for that information it's been so long since i've read this story but um yeah so i guess i guess the point there being is that she's kind of a misunderstood character and one that's in a very difficult position right of um choosing between someone she loves, and we're going to assume that that love is very legitimate, unlike the way it normally gets preached. And, you know, sometimes love looks like following the instructions of somebody you really love, right? And sometimes it means choosing a different kind of loyalty, and, and that there's not necessarily any right or wrong here, you right. know, that that there's two different responses. I think I remember you saying that. There's two different responses, but that doesn't mean that one is better than another.
1: Yes, and um, lest we think this is just some obscure Old Testament story that doesn't bear relevance, um, how many times have people come in here and told us tragic stories of of being part of a family where somebody's just different, and because of that, they are not nurtured or welcomed, or somehow their differentness threatens the family system. Right. And, um, you know, I had that story told to me just yesterday by a young woman. And, um, and it was, it was so obvious to me listening to her story that the preferred path of high achievement, athleticism, workaholism, uh, tremendous success, um, and a real visual, visible, uh, public persona, uh, that her uh, sibling took, um, trying to live up to that, really contributed to some of the choices she's made that has resulted in her now living with a substance use disorder. And all she can see is that she's brought shame to her family. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I'm not a I'm not a fan of shame at all. But if we wanted to shame somebody, um. I would be inclined to say, shame on you, mom and dad, for not noticing what was completely apparent to me in a very short period of time. This kid can't handle that kind of lifestyle. Um, You know, this was never going to be her path. Um, And she's tried really, really hard to be like everybody else in her family, and it's just about killed her. So... I think if we build a better family, part of building a better family is making sure that we are um, not asking for uh, compliance or um, uniform, uniformity. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Uh, uniformity in the expressions of uh, our family members as they continue to age and grow and change and find their own path in the world. And um, I think Naomi did that, and um, I would wish that we could do that in our families a little bit better than I see it lived out on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it brings me back to something that we've talked about before, but um, something that um, Dale Ryan says about families is that um, families that are healthy, and we could have a whole conversation about what that means and what that looks like, but just assuming that we all have some idea of what health healthy looks like, um, that healthy families tend to be very creative in their responses to problems and opportunities and to situations and maybe the differences of, of children or the differences of personalities within the family, whereas families that um, aren't so healthy or have Um, you know, really large problems tend to all drag each other down in one direction, Mm -hmm. you know, and they tend to display some pretty common uh, behaviors. I always thought that was interesting, but, um, you know, I think that what what you're drawing out here is that Naomi was able to embrace both children in a way that we might call creative. Right. It yeah. wasn't like you. You have to do the same thing, or else there's going to be some kind of punishment for it. It's just like there's love, no matter what, and it's your life.
1: Yes, and you know, and and remember, you know, we're talking about two young women coming from completely different cultures than she came from. Yeah. So that's that's pretty huge. The other thing that's interesting in that little big Book of Ruth, the little book of Ruth. Uh, The Little Book of Ruth is, and this is my second point, is that there are a couple of verses in there that are extremely um, heartbreaking. And it is when Naomi kind of has a bit of an outburst about um, her fear or belief that the reason she has suffered so much is because uh, she has done something wrong. Or that she God is not uh, um God is not happy with her. And um I thought that was so interesting because if you read the entire book, what you see is Naomi living a life of faithfulness with intention. And um I kind of those that little outburst kind of made me love her more. Um, I think in the Old Testament, you know, it's not uncommon. The Book of Job is full of it. This this belief that if bad things are happening to you, it's got to be your fault. You have found in some way disfavor with God, um, and that doesn't hold up with uh, the principles that God has taught about who He is. Starting in Genesis and going all the way through, that He is a helper and that He wants to give us good things. So I just thought it was interesting that Naomi had a little outburst, but still remained faithful. And um, that spoke to me about um, the intentionality with which she was living her life and probably probably gives us more than a small hint about why she was so beloved by these two young girls. So um, those are the things I loved about Naomi and the story. I loved uh, the diversity of their good choices, and I loved the intentionality with which Naomi led her life. When she made suggestions, she was making them based on what she thought would be good. She remained flexible in the face of disagreement. When Ruth said, Nope, that's not what's good for me. Where you go, I will go. And um, I kind of just love this woman for all that she is in this story and um, how clever she is and um, how faithful she is to being a woman of God.
0: I think it shows the same. You know, I think, um, you know, I think anytime somebody. uh, complains about God or is upset because they fear God is doing something to them. Those things are rarely corrected by God in these stories. Um, thinking about Job and Ruth here, which is like God also has creative and free responses to his people, which is you can, he seems perfectly comfortable having his people be upset with him, for instance. Yep. Um, he doesn't particularly see the need to fix that. And I think that's also speaking. Um, to the value that you're that you're teaching here, which seems to be that um, that love uh, can tolerate um, a variety of responses to a problem. Would you say yeah. that's kind of the core of what you've been describing? Yeah, that's
1: a beautiful uh, summation of what I'm trying to say. That love can tolerate a variety of responses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think uh, to speak of Dale Ryan again, one of the things that I've heard him teach on is. And you mentioned it about, you know, however you define healthy. Healthy families usually get creative in terms of problem solving. Um, One of the things he talks about in addictive family systems is how, for whatever reason, an addictive family system has had the creativity sucked right out of it. And I think that's the flip side of the coin. Um, But that what we're shooting for is creating families that look for, anticipate and expect diversity and um, the need for creativity and how we go about addressing the problems that inevitably rise in families, the famines, the sufferings, how do we how do we do that without um, without managing our anxiety by finding somebody to blame right? So yeah, that was it. Short message, short book, big impact. If we could figure out how to apply this to our own situation, I think.
0: So just thinking about the series title, "Building a New Family," um, how would you how would you take this message or these ideas and condense them, and then apply them to somebody who's thinking about how do I how do I try to create a new community around me, knowing that. I've either lost my family or my family's not going to work for me. Uh, Being an integral part of my family, let's say, is not going to work for me in my recovery. Uh, What are the takeaways uh, that you would have for that person? Like what types of things would you want them to do in response to this? Or what types of things would you want them to seek from somebody else?
1: I think maybe I could call my women's group into as as an example for what I've seen other people do. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, back in October or something, I asked a question about, you know, what do you wish would change or something like that? And, uh, the women in the group were just as honest and straightforward as I've come to be able to trust them to be with each other. And, um, and what I saw in their response was. A reaching out outside of the group time to support one another in the change.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: aggressive reaching out and support. And I thought that they were the living embodiment of a principle that we talk about on Wednesday nights all the time. Cause you know, nobody shows up to one of our groups with stellar family system in place and life going peachy keen. And so one of the things that I say to the women, on a fairly regular basis is um, look for the people who support your intentions for living the way you want to live Mm -hmm. and figure a way to hang out with them. And um, although we didn't talk about this explicitly that night, I think it was just an expression of what they do quite naturally in our community. They started inviting the lonely ones out to dinner, Um, they started inviting, um, the, the stressed out ones to go to a movie. Um,
0: basically they 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 started
1: giving each other presents, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it was a beautiful thing and we've been at this for more than two decades and it's the first time I've ever seen that extent of aggressive pursuit of loving kindness towards one another
0: so the the advice would be to look for people who are supporting um, what's important to you and what you need in life um, but then it also sounds like the that there's a certain importance to um, making conscious efforts to reach out and just develop relationship and make um, emotional connections with people who might possibly be the ones who are supporting your way of seeing
1: yeah okay I really do. I do think that's really important. And you know, you gotta take some risks too to do that.
0: Yeah. So you yeah. have to be brave. Always risky to try to develop a new relationship. But um yeah, likely worth it. <laughs> I yeah, hope. what anyway. about
1: what about you? I'm curious. What would you suggest to a family?
0: Oh, those are good things. I mean, you know, we talked about it in the podcast last week, but um, you know you know one of the things that I would say a lot of people um that I've talked to over the years seem to think that the relationships where you do things together spontaneously are the ones that are your true and real relationships like not the ones where you have to have plans and like whatever but the ones where like you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants together that there's something really special about that and there may be I don't know but Um, the more you have going on in your life, then the more you have to schedule stuff in. And, um, you know, like I said in, in last week's podcast, you know, the best way that we've had, the best way that we have been able to build in time with people who support our way of seeing and being in the world is to have them over on a weekly basis at the same time on the same day so that it's just, that's just blocked off time. And so... Don't be afraid to block off time, you know, and make a schedule and make a regular thing out of it um, in order to to sort of build that family. And because those people come over so regularly, Nora asks about them with the same frequency as she asked about our family. Yeah. Like that, to me, sort of communicates something, which, like, Nora doesn't know it yet, but she's going to realize, you know, pretty soon that her family is not her biological family— and or at least the family that she lives with is not her biological family, and so you know it seems. What do you all think the,
1: will give her the hint, <laughs> other than the fact that you've told her since she was born?
0: But yeah. So I think that um, you know the idea that we have these other people in our lives who um, are also family is uh, you know I just I hope that's a beautiful thing for her. It seems yeah. to be very meaningful for them. Yeah. And I hope that she receives it that way as well
1: well I love this idea of uh, oh you know what I have another thought on this too is be prepared to be surprised um, by um, by where you might find really great connections yeah uh, just be prepared to be really surprised
0: yeah try to make it you know sometimes it's worth making a connection with somebody who you don't instantly click with yeah um, I found that. Some of my best relationships have started that way so um, all right, this is our second podcast of the day, of the day. I think we're winding down emotionally. I think both of us are tired. Um, anything else that you want to get in before we sign off?
1: No, I think this is I think this is it. I'm sort of fantasizing about going to eat my salmon that I cooked earlier in the day.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we are North Star community or at least we're a part of North Star Community. You can learn more about us at NorthStarCommunity.com. The music that you've heard um, at various points is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. It came to us royalty-free. You can find them on the web at Sessions.Blue. We really appreciate the use of their music. Um, I think that's it. And if it is, then we'll talk to you next week.